We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, another Nets win. Wasn't necessarily pretty tonight, but they got the job done against Detroit. 195. How are we feeling, Jack? James Edward Harden Jr., give him the MVP. Yeah, I mean, this was great. You know, not necessarily Harden's best game, but he came up clutch at the end. I think he scored the Nets' last 10 points. Before we jump into it, as always, Jack, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But... Jack, where do you want to start with this one? Look, I think we'll go down the stretch, Nick, because there seemed to be a little bit of a buffer for the Nets. We're like, okay, we've got the sort of 10, 12-point lead, I think, heading into the last quarter. And it was like, okay, the Nets will hopefully blow it out, get a bit of rest for some of the guys that we need to get some rest for. But the, the Pistons, credit to them, they just continue to hang around. The Nets were a little bit sloppy on both ends of the floor. And the Pistons made the most of our mistakes, and they, they hung in there. And they just got the... They just kept chipping away at it, and even down the stretch, you know, it, it, they took the lead at one point, but James Harden just stepped up, and he wasn't going to let this team lose tonight. And uh, despite the fact that, again, uh, probably a, a lackluster performance by his immense standards, uh, if you go and buy the last quarter, that's what MVPs do. They step up. They don't let the team lose, no matter who it is. If it's the Detroit Pistons or if it's the Los Angeles Lakers, he was awesome, and he led this team uh, like a true leader does. Yeah, and I think this game kind of had similar vibes to the Spurs game. You know what I mean? They let them come back late, get into it, where they had that 10-point lead. And like you said, just a little lackadaisical. And I think that's, you know, a good <laughs> a good example of the entire night. You know what I mean? They just weren't necessarily super locked in. A couple possessions late just weren't didn't really necessarily make a ton of sense. But like you said, James Harden stepped up, hit those clutch buckets, and really gave the Nets the edge because Detroit just couldn't do the same thing on the other end. They couldn't get that, you know, ISO score to get those buckets and get those easy points. And it's crazy because, like you said, Jack, he really struggled in this game, but the fourth quarter felt like he was a different player. It, um, 
and that's just he's just like and because his three ball wasn't falling and it hasn't yep. been falling you know the past couple of games is something like what a one or two or 14 from from that range um in, in saying that he doesn't need it because uh, one thing that we asked him in the early points of the season is come on james drive a bit get to the line get that floater game going and that floater game looked pretty tonight every single time he took it you know, I was watching the game with my dad and other him calling Nick Claxton, Nick Craxton. Some of his analysis actually wasn't too bad. Him sort of saying, you know, the footwork of Kyrie Irving and just the composure and poise that he, he alluded to with you know, the hands of, of James Harden. It was uh, just a, a really good performance from him. You know, Kyrie, I thought, was really, really good in the, the early parts of the game, keeping us around that mark when James Harden wasn't feeling himself. But, you know, it's the, the beauty of having the two superstars, the best backcourt in the league. So... Uh, Harden stepping up. It's uh, what good players do. It's what great players do. He wasn't letting us lose tonight, uh, and it's a good win. You know, get one back on a team that probably turned our season around in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah, and honestly, Jack, I think it's impressive because I would say these are probably both C-plus games for James Harden and Kyrie Irving in terms of their standards, and the Nets still found a way to win, and they shot terribly in this game, at least from three, six to 27, 22%. You know, Brad Stevens just talked about how the Nets might be one of the greatest shooting teams assembled. He gave him a little bit of a jinx. Yeah, and look, if you're taking out Joe Harris, who was two of five, and Landry Shaman, who was three of three, that is basically one of 19. You know, Tyler Johnson hit the only other three tonight. James Harden, 0 of six. Kyrie Irving, 0 of six. Bruce Brown, 0 of one. Jeff Green, 0 of two. Claxton of one, though, you know, Nets Twitter probably would have exploded mm. if Claxton, uh, as my dad likes to say, hit that big one. But yeah, it, it's, it shows you, Nick, sometimes you just, you got to grind out those wins. You know, they're not going to be memorable. We're not going to be looking back on them. We're not going to be doing rewatches of these sort of games. But at the end of the day, good teams bank wins. And the Nets are one of the best teams in the league. And this is what the best teams in the league do. Yeah, and that's important, Jack. Like you said, you know, grind out these games. You're not always going to have your offense. You need to find other ways to win. Nets, I think, had 58 points in the paint, did a good job of getting in there. You know, and then defensively, I thought in this game, just a lot of lack of focus. They'd play good defense for, you know, the first half of the possession and then kind of just get lackadaisical, you know, off-ball cut, somebody got a good shot, or just give up an offensive rebound. You know, the Pistons lived on offensive rebounds. They had 12 in this game, and they killed the Nets in second-chance points. Yeah, and the boards as well, Nick. You know, 12 offensive boards to the Nets, five, and also, you know, total uh, rebounding uh, points, total rebounding uh, numbers, 47 to 35 in, in the Pistons' favor. It just seemed to me that they, you know, DJ wasn't really good tonight. I thought he was uh, below average despite him being relatively consistent. I thought he was good offensively, but I thought he was pretty poor defensively, other than maybe a couple of possessions here or there. And I thought that was emblematic of the team overall. I thought Nick Claxton was a lot better. There were times where, you know, he looked a bit off, but then, you know, he had that insane block as well. Um, and he continues to show versatility uh, with his ability to switch out onto guards and wings and such. So, look, you get a good defensive performance from Nicholas Claxton, you get a bad defensive performance from DeAndre Jordan. It'd be nice if we can get one from both of them uh, at some stage. Yeah, and I think DJ in this game, too, I think just 29 minutes is a little bit too much. You know, it's like we didn't really see any Jeff Green at center, and obviously the Pistons are a big team, but it's funny because the Nets were playing so small, and it felt like in this game, Nash wanted the Nets to stay relatively big almost the entire time. Yeah, it seems to me that DJ like really sort of just matched Plumlee's minutes in, yeah. in a lot of respects. And, and it's look, nice and Plumlee, Bran. I mean, yeah. like... <laughs> like, it's, it's, you know, former Nets legend mason plumley uh might i say as well but like there were just times where it's just like you know he took like a mid-range jump and i'm like okay um i'm glad this guy isn't on our team anymore and look he's a serviceable enough guy and 
you know, we on the outlet, we dive deep into the, the contract and such when it did happen. But, you know, you could really exploit a Plumlee if you're dragging him out and you make playing a five-out sort of game with a, with a James, uh, with a Jeff Green, sorry, or if you put Nicholas Claxton on the perimeter as well because he's going to be happy to take those shots uh, if they are there for him. So I just thought that Steve Nash almost played into the Pistons' hand in a lot of respects. Yes, there were the timeouts, like the timeouts and such. I know you sort of alluded to me in the DMs about you know the lack of versatility with some of his lineups. I thought that overall it wasn't his best coaching performance either. Didn't really give the the team the best chances to see. I thought sometimes when he was putting out Landry Shaman out there, you know, give the team some juice. Again, the bench. It's two games in a row now, Nick, that we probably get a little bit of extra life from the bench squad, and um, you know, full credit to them for two games in a row. Yeah, Jack, Landry Shaman obviously is, you know, hot right now, like we kind of talked about in the previous game. Maybe this could be the start of something special for him. But just talking about Steve Nash, like you said, you know, I thought, you know, he did make an adjustment in the second half, you know, playing Jeff Green with DeAndre Jordan a little bit more instead of Bruce Brown, at least having that three-point shot. But I would have loved to probably see a little bit of Claxton and Jeff Green with Kyrie, James Harden, and Joe Harris. You know, just that full, you know, defense and offense out there. You get that little bit of versatility. But overall, it just kind of felt like, everybody lacked juice for this game. Like nobody really was like super locked in except probably Landry Shamit, which has been the case for the last two games. And look, it's his birthday. It's like the Alan Crabb experience who scored 40 points on his birthday. But in, in, in all seriousness about Landry Shamit, his form of late has been incredible. And we Confidence saw this on is... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Yes Network sort of put out some stats over the, the, the entire season. In December, six points on 25% shooting from three, five and a half points in January, 32.7% shooting from three. In February, 10 and a half points, nearly 41% shooting from three. And in this month of March, 12 points a game on nearly 48% shooting from three and was again absolutely... And I think beyond his three-point shooting tonight, Nick, that lefty layup off the drive, yep. it was it was super smooth, super pretty. We've seen it a lot this season, and I think it's partly because he has that confidence and comfortability within his game and within his role now. I think we're going to see this pretty consistently from Landry Shamit, and I think he outplays Sadiq Bate tonight. Yeah, he did. He did, Jack. And uh, that I think he hit a mid-range jumper in this game, too, a little pull-up yep. one that was pretty smooth. So like you said, that driving is there, his ability to finish with both hands. And I thought he did a nice job of like bringing the ball up and protecting it, where if the defender attempted to block it, it probably would have been a foul call. So it's really nice to see Shamit finding his groove, especially when the rest of the Nets are maybe struggling a little bit shooting-wise. And also, I put it out on Twitter, like, this could be another added element to this Nets team offensively. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
if you just have a guy that can just straight cook off the bench. We talked about it after the Boston game, but if he keeps this up, it's just going to be another tool for this Nets offense that seems unstoppable already, and Kevin Durant's not out there. The Nets are at their best when they play 4-5 out, and most of the yep. time they do play 4-5 out, except for when they basically have their starters with Kevin Durant <laughs> out. With the the latest recent lineups of late, I thought there were a couple of times where I thought the passing was pretty good from Bruce Brown and DJ trying to get each other some sort of open looks. But I think they also just were sometimes too unselfish and not necessarily aggressive enough in getting their own. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Uh, but in saying that, again, Nick Landry Shamet, and, and you know, I, I think that he continues to show why he can be a presence for this team in important minutes. He's going to get hit some big shots. He's going to win you a playoff game, win you a playoff quarter. And, you know, 15 points for him, two of three from uh, the, the free throw line, three of three from three, a lot of threes in there, and five yeah. or six from the field. Landry Shaman continues to show consistency in a way that you want your role players to do. So uh, you've got to keep giving him those minutes, 20 minutes plus for him. And he is just a goddamn weapon out there. You don't have Joe Harris, you've got Landry Shaman. you got your hands full as a defense. Yeah, and that last three he hit, like fading off the pick, yeah. you know, off balance, that's just like I said to you before. He's just really confident right now, and you can see his stroke looks smoother when he's confident. There's no hesitation there. But you mentioned Bruce Brown. You know, I think it's just tough playing him with DeAndre Jordan. It's just yeah. really congested. And instead of just trying to get a float over two player, uh, over one player, it's now over two players. And obviously, Bruce is already a little bit undersized. So it's weird that Steve Nash just, like, loves to play him with DeAndre Jordan, but we really didn't see much of, like, Bruce Brown and Jeff Green at center tonight. Like, that's something we didn't really see. Do you think that Bruce Brown should be, you know, put more with the bench, Nick, and you put Jeff Green back with the stars now that he's found... You know, he played 31 minutes and had the most out of any Nets, a big, quote-unquote big. Do you think that Jeff Green slots back with the starters and Bruce Brown would fit better with you know, James Harden off the bench because their two-man chemistry, uh, as we've alluded to in, in previous episodes, the stats are otherworldly and you line up those minutes sort of there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't necessarily always matter who starts or whatever. It's just kind of about inter, you know, twining those lineups throughout the game. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to start Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan, go ahead. I don't necessarily love the spacing there, but if I understand it from a rotation perspective, if you want to keep Nick Claxton as your backup center, I don't think you're going to end up starting him, and I don't think you necessarily want to play DJ and Claxton together because I think Claxton, one of his best abilities is, you know, diving to the rim and a lob catcher with, you know, his athleticism. So it's like almost DJ and Claxton kind of getting in the way of each other. So... It's kind of Steve Nash trying to find some balance. But like we alluded to on the Boston recap, Jack, like when Kevin Durant comes back, it's going to solve almost all of these problems in terms of the rotation. It's just going to put other guys in different positions. It does. And to play devil's advocate to our own discussion here, I don't mind trying it against these sort of teams, against the, the Pistons and sort of saying, you know what, didn't work against the Celtics. They're a, a really, really, really good defense. And the Pistons are sneakily pretty good too. They've got a lot of athletes and a lot of wingspan in their lineup. So they certainly made things difficult for, for the Nets in that respect, despite, you know, outscoring them in points in the paint, as you sort of pointed out. They want, I think it was 58 to 54. So nice little advantage there. But I think it's something that will need to be adjusted. I'm, I don't want to see this lineup again as the starters. Obviously, we may have to uh, in 
and in, in games coming forward. But I just think if you have James Harden, you have Claxton and Bruce Brown as your sort of quote-unquote bigs uh, with your sort of second unit, I think that works a lot better. And maybe sort of mix and match. You know, you might have DJ with Bruce Brown at some certain points. You maybe keep Nick Claxton's minutes down around that 15 to sort of 20-minute sort of mark. But I just think it works better balance-wise. And I, I think that it's just a little bit clogged out there. And if DJ's in the dunker spot, as well as Bruce Brown, there's not a lot of space for those guys to either sort of show off a, a bit of their footwork, or a bit of their aggression. Yeah, and then things get a little bit of congested for everybody. You know, James Harden doesn't have the driving lane. Same thing for Kyrie Irving. So, like you said, they could go with the Jeff Green starter. Maybe it just means playing DJ less minutes. You know what I mean? And that's not something I would be super opposed to and trying to find more minutes for Jeff Green at center. But, um, you know, obviously Blake Griffin will be here soon, too. <laughs> yeah, there's a look, there's a, a lot. Of, and we heard the fact that there's no necessary timeline. And I don't think you can necessarily give a timeline to Blake Griffin uh, specifically. Well, we can probably have a bit of a chat about Kevin Ryan. We did dive deep into it in the last episode. If you guys want to have a listen to that and sort of analyzing uh, Steve Nash's quotes and such. But with Blake Griffin, it's just about the ramping up and, and sort of getting him the reps in uh, in the practice court and making sure that he is fully fit. So when he does come onto the court, he doesn't have an injury like Kevin Durant did uh, against Golden State. He needs to be fit and firing. And you know, if he plays 15 minutes in his first game, comes off the bench, sort of replaces Jeff Green as your backup center, I'm pretty happy with it. Or, or he plays alongside Nicholas Claxton. I think both of those guys would be pretty... Pretty damn fun to, to see with James Harden out on the court, the amount of lobs it would be. Uh, it would be pretty damn fun watching watching them play together. But I think that there are good problems to have, Nick. I think Bruce Brown just needs to be utilized better, as Steve Nash has done before. You know, he's played best alongside a floor-spacing big, alongside a Claxton, uh, alongside a Jeff Green. Um, I think that that's just something that Steve Nash needs to do. I still think that Bruce Brown's hustle and grit is still there. I just don't think he's getting the opportunities to impact the box score as much. Yeah, he's not necessarily always in the best position for him to be successful. You know what I mean? And it's not his fault. It's literally just like the rotations and the lineups that he's in aren't always ideal for him. I mean, I understand why Steve Nash does want to start him because he is at least that one defensive enforcer, like that one guy that's going to give high energy and at least make somebody's life difficult on the other end of the floor. That's why it becomes so interesting with DeAndre Jordan because, like I said, you're not going to start Claxton. I, at least I don't think so. No, I, I look and I think you can make a, a rational point for starting them. You know, I think these are the, the times to try them. Again, so your message sort of saying, you know, we want Steve Nash to show a little bit more flexibility, throw some things out there, experiment a little bit. And he has done that before. I'm not saying that he's never done that. I just think that now you've sort of seen, you've gotten your sample size of what Bruce Brown and DJ look like together. Get a bit wacky with it. You've got Blake Griffin on, coming back soon. Um, and he's, he, he even said himself that he has no idea what he's going to do uh, with the Lunas when Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant do come back. He's focusing on what, what he has there now. What he has there now, he's sort of seen a, a large enough sort of sample size to sort of go, this kind of doesn't work. I need to be a little bit more creative with what I do, whether that's have a word with Mike D'Antoni, maybe Doka, Jacques Vaughn, and sort of try and make make it better because Bruce Brown is still impacting the game. You look beyond the box score, but he's not going to have 29-point performances alongside DeAndre Jordan uh, with the starters. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, especially I think teams are starting to get a better idea of like what the Nets are trying to do with these two as well. You know what I mean? It was also like kind of like, oh, this is the first time we're seeing it. They're going to run a ton of pick and roll with Bruce Brown or pick and pop or whatever they're doing. You know what I mean? So now it's like teams are adjusting. They see what's out there and they're kind of putting the Nets in a different position. And then obviously it always sticks out more when your three-point shooters aren't knocking down their shots. You know what I mean? Like we shot 22%. If Joe Harris is – well, Joe Harris shot well in this game. If Kyrie and James Harden are cooking in this one – 
it's less impactful. But when the shooting's not there, that's when it really sticks out. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And, you know, the the strengths of Bruce Brown are similar to the strengths of, of DeAndre Jordan from around <laughs> that, that really, really close range around the yep. rim. Um, and, and showing strength and, and, and a good rebounder. And both are really, really good screeners. If you overlap with strengths, unless you are a shooter or a perimeter player, and you, both of those strengths can mesh well together, I just don't think it works necessarily cohesively and, and synergistically. I'm not sure if that's a, in synergy uh, in a way that I think benefits the Nets and benefits the team as a whole. I agree, Jack, 100%. Who do you want to talk about next? Look, I just want to get into... How is Joe Harris still not cleaned up these scratches? You know, I gave him a bit of ointment after the game the other night. Clearly, it wasn't working, or he's been, uh, you know, doing some things on the side because he's still getting scratched up. And th- th- those are some deep, deep scratches. And he still had a nice, really solid performance. One thing I wanted to touch on, Nick, especially that sidestep three, that was yep. pretty as hell. Yeah, it was on Wayne. It's a different shot, too. You know what I mean? That was contested. It was pretty heavily contested, and he knocked it down. So. I mean, a lot of confidence there. And just, you know, about the scratches, I think a lot of the scratches, to be honest, is like off-ball movement. Not you, Jack. Stop smirking over there. (laughs) (laughs) It's off-ball movement with players trying to grab his shoulders, but it just goes to show you how aggressive they are in trying to stop him, that he's getting literally scratched up. Yeah, uh, I think someone in... uh... In a, in a conversation on Twitter was sort of saying, you know, his, his girlfriend might be Catwoman or something <laughs> like that, uh, which I thought was quite funny. But yeah, the just to reiterate the point on that sort of sidestep three, that is a, a, a strength going even stronger in his own game. Joe Harris is already one of the two or three, or if not best three-point shooters in the league. And you only make it better by increasing the diversity to your strength, by being able to make those type of shots in a way that, you know, he's learning something from James Harden, Stephen Curry, Damian Lillard, these sort of dudes. We know Joe Harris has been taking some deeper threes. We know his footwork has gotten better. I think that probably started in the bubble and has gone, you know, and he's taken that into the the season with us. He's gotten the confidence with James Harden, with Curry, with Kevin Durant around him and, you know, his, his strengths have become even stronger and he's just becoming a really balanced player. You know, only 10 points tonight, but, you know, he was rebounding the ball well. I thought his defense was continually good. Um, and, and again, just another really solid performance from, from Joey and a, a nice little offensive board as well. I think he's just sneakily in a Bruce Brownie sort of way, impacting in ways that role players do. And that's what you want uh, to really complete the whole unit as a whole and, and make sure you're making winning plays, even if you're not hitting... 8 of 10 from 3, which he does on, on some occasions. 2 of 5 from him for tonight, 40%. That's uh, almost a bad night for him <laughs> overall in his overall percentages, but he continues to do things beyond uh, the 3-point shot. Yeah, and you could argue he's negatively impacted by having two non-floor spacers out there. You know what I mean? And DeAndre and Bruce Brown, it's just like, hey, this is the guy we need to worry about. We're not going to help off him. We're going to help off the other two guys. And it just feels like these last two games, it's been tough for the Nets to generate three-point looks for Joe Harris, where it felt like, you know, before the in the first half of the season at times, it was just like a cakewalk. It was like James Harden was just passing him the ball and he was open. So something to keep an eye on. I thought Joe was solid defensively. I thought he had a couple of lackadaisical plays just like the entire team tonight. It was just kind of like a group effort of not being super locked in. Uh, it's Saturday night in New York. And I think yeah. they've got some other things on their mind. And I think and that, I think some might be fatigued, to be honest. I, I I think it's mental and physical fatigue. 
this season as a whole. We can't under, underestimate and have such high... St- I mean, we should have high standards for this team because we know what they can do. We know what they can produce. But as long as they're banking the wins and they're moving on to the next one, one at a time, this is an absolute slog of a season. I can't imagine the physical and mental drain that is on these guys night after night after night. And thankfully, the Nets have a, a decent schedule going forward, so they'll be able to uh, be a little bit more engaged in, in, in games and we should have that expectation of them. Um, but at the same time, I think they've got high standards for themselves as well, and they'll probably be like, this wasn't our best game, we got the win, we'll move on to it. And you sort of, sort of take the good and you take the bad and you go to, to game 40, hopefully uh, get a win against the Knicks. But yeah, I think this season overall, Nick, uh, and, and you know, it's I think it's been a combination of this season and the latter points of last season. Uh, it's just going to be, we can't underestimate the mental and physical grind that is being put on these athletes right now, uh, especially NBA players where they're playing you know, 72 games in a span of, you know, however, 170 days or whatever the hell it is. Uh, it, it's some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, it really is. And like you said, Jack, luckily the Nets don't have the craziest second half of the schedule because they didn't have any postponements, which is a plus. And then hopefully when Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin are back, they can arrest some guys. Because I think one person that sticks out and looks a little fatigued is James Harden. And I think, like you said, some of it is mental fatigue. Just like not being fully engaged and locked in and not having any rest. You know, James Harden and Kyrie Irving had to go to the All-Star game. So the other guys at least had some time off. It's just like you said, a continued grind. And there's not really necessarily a break unless your team can afford to give you one. Definitely. You know, 38 minutes for James Harden tonight. He'd probably be averaging that on the season. Kyrie having 36 minutes. You want to keep that down. 35 lower if you can. But obviously these guys are leading the team and we need them to be out there in important minutes. And despite the fact that, you know, Reggie Perry is back, we've got Chris Chioza hanging around at TLC, um, I think is healthy. No, he was out. Not yet, but he was on the bench, and he's continuing to look good. Not necessarily as good as uh, as Blake is. He's always looking good, sipping his coffee out there. Uh, our Nets love their beverages, be it a smoothie, be it a coffee. Nick, if you had to choose between a smoothie or a coffee, what are you picking? Smoothie. Yeah, I'm going to go Team Kyrie as well. Give me that Jumba Juice. Uh, I miss Jumba Juice quite a bit. It's one of the first <laughs> places. As soon as I get off at like JFK or if I get off at LAX, I'm always going to Jumba Juice. It's just get the sugar levels, get me a bit hyped after a really goddamn long flight. Good but, healthy energy in comparison to coffee will give you like that spike and then you might yeah. die down a little bit afterwards. And obviously, you know, smoothie, better for the hydration, dehydration with the coffee. So, uh, well, I mean, if I ask you if it was a protein shake, I think I know what you probably sound about. <laughs> Too, but in saying that, Nick, I wanted to touch on Nicholas Claxton. What did you think of his game overall tonight? That block, I mean, was absolutely crazy, and as well the the and one finish, which which caused the the proud parents and Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan to show a, a pretty goddamn loving hug. Oh man, I need to find someone that hugs me like Kyrie <laughs> hugs his teammates. No, it was a really sporadic game for Nick Claxton. It felt like more of a rookie sophomore game than what we've seen over, you know, the you know the first few games he was back. You mentioned defensively. I thought he popped a little bit more on that end. Offensively, he looked a little out of sorts, you know, trying to find his spacing out there, too. I think he bobbled a couple passes, just kind of typical stuff you'll see. But like you said, he did have the highlight play, ended up getting the steal, I think, on Isaiah Stewart, you know, took the ball in transition down court and won. And I mean, not many centers are going to be doing that in the NBA with that level of comfort and confidence. Yeah, and he got to the line on, on another occasion in transition too. And, you know, the probably one of the highlight plays of the night was his block leading to the Tyler Johnson pull-up three. That was... Uh, that Recovery certainly that's, was crazy. 
Uh, it was it was insane. You know, he is so goddamn quick, so goddamn long. And I actually like that matchup because I like Isaiah Stewart as well. He seems to be a bit more of a bruiser, a bit tougher, sort of like a Reggie, Reggie Perry. Vibes. Yeah, Reggie Evans, Reggie Perry sort of vibes uh, in my eyes. And I, I like him. I think he's going to be a bit of a player. So that was a fun matchup. You know, two, you know, a promising young bigs going up against each other. I think both of them got the best of each other on occasions. I thought it sort of evened out in a bit. But yeah, Clark's eight points, three boards. Two assists, had a steal, had two blocks as well. Um, you know, needs to practice his free throws a little bit as well. But yeah, in saying that, if he hits the three as well, Nets sort of might explode. But these are still, he is still a young player. And, you know, you might, you could certainly advocate for him finishing this game um, in a lot of respects. But I still also do think that he is finding his legs and uh, he is finding, you know, the, the pace of the, of the game and such. And uh, it's going to be a work in progress. And, you know, come game 55, 60 and such, I think that it's more likely we see him in closing those games you know, than in game four or five of, of, his, uh, of this regular season for him. Yeah, he still needs to get some things down fundamentally on both ends of the floor. And then obviously, like they've talked about, adjusting to the NBA strength because there's a couple plays where he just got muscled and that's going to happen. But it's just kind of him adjusting and being prepared for those situations. And I think, like you said, Jack, as the season progresses, they're going to play him a little bit more and try him out in other situations. Tonight, just didn't get a ton of run, I guess. But 17 minutes isn't too bad for him in comparison to at times. We just wanted to see him on the court last year. Yeah, and look, in saying that, I think James Harden was the best post defender tonight. He was so damn good yeah. down there. He had three blocks for himself as well. Uh, if we didn't mention the stat line, just to reiterate, 24 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds, yeah, another triple-double for, for the bid. Also had two steals, eight of eight from the free-throw line. I uh, didn't have the three-ball going, didn't hit any of his six shots. But yeah, I thought his post defense, I'm just like, please, James Harden, I hope he gets switched on into the post because... I, he just, I remember the, there was a play in the last game against the Boston Celtics where I'm like, he's down the perimeter. I'm like, yep, Tatum's going to drive here. He's going to cook him. He's going to cook him up the dribble. But if James Harden's in the post, there is no player in the league that I think is as... Well, there are some other decent uh, post defenders, but you can't, like, budge him. Like, he's just so thick. He's so goddamn thick. For an undersized player, I, like you said, Jack, I don't think there's many guards in the NBA that are going to hold centers in the post. And it's almost like you want him to be there because he's engaged and locked in. It's he struggles in other aspects, especially like off-ball defense and some stuff getting over screens. And a lot of that is just effort-related. But post is kind of, I don't want to say the easiest form of defense, but you don't necessarily have to do a ton of like running around. It suits him. And I yep. actually will say as well that Kyrie Irving's start to the game, especially the first half, I thought his defensive engagement and defensive execution was was awesome. The way he was fighting under and over screens, getting steals, getting out in transition. You know, he had three steals tonight. I thought this was one of the better defensive performances uh, of the season for Kai. Yeah, I think that's what he needs to do because there's going to be possessions where he gets beat. It's the quick hands, it's the deflections about like creating some type of impact and making people uncomfortable. And like you said, Jack, we saw that, especially early in the game. I think he had a big steal late in the game on Mason Plumley, got his hand in there, and that ended up being a big possession. And like we said, you know, overall not a great game for Kyrie Irving, but he did enough to help the team win. Yeah, eight in points, five assists, four boards, the three steals and the block is what sticks out to me, Nick. I thought that in in a weird I mean, he had some absolutely just goddamn in crazy plays. Um, just his, his footwork, that that post shot, um, I think that's the reason why he wants eight post touches a night because uh, it looked uh, a lot like 
uh, Kobe being Bryant yeah. in, in that shot that he, he took. He, he's an offensive wizard in, in, in so many goddamn ways, and it was good to see him really bring that defensive intensity because I thought when the Nets did need it, you know, he really stepped up in that department. And it gives me confidence because normally we're talking about Kyrie Irving you know, being the guy that's getting cooked in the screen. And you know, him and him and DJ next to each other are, are, are weaknesses at times because there's a, a defensive weaknesses in both of them. But tonight, I thought he really, really showed effort there. Um, and it really did help us, you know, hang around and, and make sure that we stuck in this game and, and, and had a lead for the most parts. Yeah, 100%. And obviously, he did suffer that elbow to the back by, I believe, Rodney McGruger. Um, man, I, want, I know why Clay Thompson hates that <laughs> dude as well, man. Like, God, he's going to be out of the league soon, apparently. I'll get him out of the league if he keeps elbow and freaking Kyrie Irving like that. No, that was mean. That was like an elbow right to the shoulder blade, bone-on-bone bone contact right there. Definitely didn't feel good. Obviously, some discomfort. Hopefully, it's nothing serious. You know, obviously, if anything... I back like, out there like two minutes later. Like, it was yeah. just like... Well, Nets probably just a bruise. Just gonna have a wicked bruise. Yeah, and it's gonna look maybe you know his shot might be a, a little bit short, and and you know, him sort of getting the elevation in that department, we might see sort of the gritty Kyrie Irving going forward. But you know we got a couple of nights off until we we take on the Knicks, and, and we'll see how that game performance and performance goes. We might get Blake back. Not necessarily sure that we do, and I don't think Kevin Durant is going to be back uh, anytime soon uh, in that respect either. But yeah, if Kyrie, if, if he needs to be rested, we've sort of seen James Harden uh, lead the way as well. Played safe, played conservative. If he's out, he's out. Um, the the un, the ultimate goal uh, that we all want is him healthy and all of our guys healthy for when the games start to matter, those 16 games. 100%. I think that's the approach moving forward. And like I said, even with rest, I think at times the Nets might have to just tell guys like, hey, we need you to take this game off, especially James Harden. We know you don't want to, but just with this condensed season, you don't want to take that extra risk just for a win. And obviously, we're never happy to see anybody get hurt. Joel Embiid being out for two to three weeks could lead to the Nets gaining some ground in that, you know, first seed race. But still, at the end of the day, I don't think that's the end all be all. Like if you're the first, second or third seed, it's really not going to probably matter in most cases. No, I think ultimately if the the Heat can get to like that fifth seed or something and the six, seven, eight is something like, you know, the Bulls, the Hawks and the Hornets or the Knicks or, or whatever it is, you still want to be first yeah. or second. But if, you know, the Miami Heat only slip in and, you know, it's almost like, you know, the latter points of previous seasons where the, the Nuggets have tanked games so they don't have to go against the Lakers or, or whoever else is sort of like their sort of bogey team and, and the Blazers are winning games and they get the bad matchup and such. You know, ultimately, we don't need to think about that at this point in time yet, Nick, because we're only 39 games in the season. There's still 33 to go and, and the focus, I think, is going to be from the team on how we can defeat the uh, a red-hot firing Knicks team. And I think it's going to be a fun game and I think that there's a... Uh, they'll want to get one, back one on us, especially after, you know, in, in a way, we did embarrass them when, you know, we had that big trade and we had like seven fit and healthy guys. Kevin Rand comes out there, DJ has a revitalized performance and, and we embarrassed the Knicks that night. And I think that the way that they've been playing, Tom Thibodeau is a coach of the year contender. I think they're going to be pretty fired up. Yeah, no, for sure, Jack. And obviously, you know, the Nets haven't been playing their best basketball these last two games. So maybe they either turn it around or maybe they have to grind out another game. And that's kind of what the Knicks have been doing all season. They're not necessarily playing pretty basketball. They're just grinding out games. So I don't want to say it'll be a good test, but it should be a fun matchup.
Absolutely. And, you know, RJ Barrett, since informed Julius Randle is a most improved player contender. Uh, overall, you know, every game is going to be a tough one. The, the, everyone can beat everyone on their night. You know, Detroit has beaten every single goddamn team that is contending for, for the championship this season. And uh, the Knicks are playing really well. All the games at the pace is coming up as well, where I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of tissues and be balling our eyes out seeing Karis Avert in the blue and gold. And shout out to Karis coming back tonight against the Suns. We're going to be watching it we're, as soon as this one's over. We've got about five minutes until the game starts, and I think Nick and I are going to be glued watching uh, the Pacers. We're our, probably our second and or third team with the Cavs this season uh, with Jared Allen and, and, and Karis Avert. Nets legends are uh, playing for those respective teams. Um, what a goddamn story. Uh, what a goddamn legend. Karis Avert, man. Uh, that dude deserves it all. No minute restriction either. Man, so. he got a minimum. He got a minimum restriction after a freaking finger injury with Kenny Atkinson, and <laughs> coming back from like a near death experience. It's like Nate Bjorkman's like, "Nah, you're gonna be right, man. Play 45 minutes for us. We need you." Yeah, yeah. No, it should be fun. I'm intrigued to see what happens with Karras. Obviously, the Pacers have been struggling a little bit, so this could be a major boost for them. Um, anything else you want to talk about, Jack, in terms of the game or anything next before we get out of here? Look, I still think Jack Harlow is continuing to play really, really well for us. Nah, Tyler Johnson, TJ, as I love to call him, continuing to be a steady presence out there. I always look beyond the box before he does. I sort of just go by the eye test. And again, the eye test hasn't failed me with, with his consistency. Jeff Green as well continues to sort of feel his way back. The three ball isn't falling yet, but he's still you know getting some those old man, sort of Uncle Jeff post moves and continuing to, to take the charges and uh, do something that we don't necessarily expect a 34-year-old to do. So... Uh, and yet another consistent performance from uh, some of our bench and role players. Yeah, no, I agree on Tyler Johnson, Jack. Always just high energy and effort and kind of just does all the small things out there. It's a nice outlet for a lot of the players in terms of when they get double teamed. Like you said, Jeff Green, I'm keeping an eye on that three-point shot. He definitely is hesitating a little bit, and it just sucks is because he was having such a career year from three, and then a shoulder injury is just going to throw you out of rhythm, and that what seems to be the case. Yeah, well, hopefully all these guys are, are fit and firing and they, they feel that confidence in their own bodies to, to take shots from wherever it is on the floor. But you know, Jeff Green continues to be an, uh, an impact, as does Tyler Johnson, uh, on both ends of the floor. Yep, and maybe we'll see TLC back in the next game. But Jack, always a pleasure. And big thanks, everybody, for listening. And check us out on all stream platforms. That's wild. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.